Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello and welcome back to The Midpoint. This is the latest in our series of special expert episodes. And today we're tackling a big topic, AI. Artificial intelligence is all the rage, isn't it, at the moment? A bit of a buzz phrase. But our guest today has been talking about AI long before the rest of us. Lara Lewington is a tech journalist and AI commentator who's presented and reported for the BBC's flagship technology programme, Click, since 2011. So I'm hoping to learn a lot more about AI and maybe as well assuage some of those fears that seem to be building in the media that AI is going to take over the world in two years' time and find out exactly what what good can come from AI, as well as the pitfalls and the negatives that we should be watching out for. So let's go speak to Lara. Lara Lewington, thank you so much for coming on this special episode of The Midpoint. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Gabby? Very, very well. Long time no see. I was wanting to get somebody to come on and talk about AI for months and months. And then I read something uh, that you were involved with, specifically with AI, broadcasters specifically with AI. And I thought, Lara is the person um, who is so relatable. You're brilliant at disseminating difficult topics for people. So this is the challenge for you today. Oh, thank you. you. No pressure. (laughs) And we've asked the lovely Midpoint (laughs) listeners for their questions. I think that's probably a good way to start. And this one from Tracy Rowe, 08, is perfect. Can you share a really basic description of AI? I find it hard to get my head round. Well, as you can imagine, there is some debate over an official description of AI. But I would say, to put it in really simple terms, it is a computer doing a task that would normally take a human brain. Right. So it can do something that that we can do, but much, much, much quicker and much more efficiently. Yeah. Something that is thought of as something that a human would do. Now, of course, we can take that description on in many, many ways. And one of the enormous benefits of AI is the amount of data that it can look at to reach conclusions that no human would ever be able to analyse. So that's one of the enormous benefits that exists. And that makes it possible to do a lot using AI that wouldn't otherwise be possible. Now, I think recently, since the emergence of ChatGPT, There has been some confusion whilst it's opened up the conversation about AI and finally people are actually talking about it. I mean, I've been going on about this for years before it was trendy. But now I think a lot of people imagine that ChatGPT, which is a form of generative AI, AI that literally generates something. And so with ChatGPT, that's writing. There are other platforms that create pictures. A lot of people seem to think that is AI. That is just one form of AI. There's also AI built into everything around us from the moment that you look at your phone first thing in the morning and it recognises your face. 
that's using AI, to the curating of your, your social media platforms throughout the day when you talk to your voice assistant. I won't say any of their names here. <laughs> Don't want to trigger them all for all the listeners. <laughs> and right through to when you go to bed and you're listening to a streaming, you're watching a streaming service and it's choosing what videos you might want to see. AI is already built into everything, the self-driving vehicles of the future, crunching data for healthcare. But I'm not sure how conscious people have been of that over the past few years. So why has it just exploded at the moment in terms of it, certainly on the media that I'm getting and hearing and talk radio, there seem to be more phone-ins, debates about it. Has chat GBT, is that, is that what's given us this sudden interest that, that, oh my gosh, it can cheat in exams. So suddenly we're all interested. It's been doing much more kind of insidious things for years yeah. and, and penetrating our lives. Why do you think it's, it's suddenly become interesting? To people. Well, I think you've made the exact right point there that ChatGPT has done it because it's stirred up an emotive response in people. First of all, we can have our own interactions with it. So the fact that we can experience an AI is very different to it being built in everything around us. So using this chatbot, people are starting to feel like they're having that interaction and that proper experience of it. So they have greater awareness it's there. And then to your point about exams, essays, the things it can write for us, well, suddenly it's raised a whole load of questions that seem very real. Mm. It was those kind of things people were talking about and also concerned about jobs and what it would mean for the future of jobs, how they may change. It's also raised the conversation about AI because people have started to think about AI more in general. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the headlines have leapt forward in a pretty sensationalist way to, to a future that is, a lot of experts would say, not even that likely, but as a worst case scenario, they want well, to discuss it. Well, quite dystopian. If you read some of the you know, projections and the, and the thoughts from academics about where this can go, I mean, you're hearing two years before AI could kill somebody, you know, um, AI is responsible, you know, potentially for the end of mankind. AI's unleashed and has no boundaries and, you know, major heads of state meeting to discuss how they can legislate for this explosion, so, which is all quite scary and, and so huge for people to get their heads around, isn't it? It. So how much of this should we really, as uh, another listener has asked, be scared of? Emma Broadhurst says, can you tell me why we should love it and why we should be scared? Not, not a difficult of question course, for that's, you. That's <laughs> always the question that comes. It's always about the fear. Now, the people who have been talking about this and are speaking of existential risk are actually people who are at the cutting edge of AI. So these are people who understand it and know what's going on. So I'm not going to rubbish what they're saying. But I think maybe we're focusing on the wrong thing here because they're drawing attention to what the risks are long term. Now, a lot of that goes into the realms of AI warfare or mass cyber attack. And one of the issues with AI is that it's incredibly scalable. So in the way that you get a person who might want to do a bad thing, well, each individual who's going to do something bad is another bad person. With AI, once something has been created, once the algorithm exists, well, it can be given to a lot of AI systems. And so suddenly you've scaled a problem. And if you look at something like cyber attacks, well, they can, of course, have enormous impact. I mean, think of whole infrastructures in countries being hit by them. So that's a lot of what is being looked at there. But in fact, it's and the people who are saying this are referred to as the doomers. That's what they've become known as. And I think actually we are skipping a lot of the story to jump ahead to that. And it is actually quite distracting from some of the real problems that exist now. I will go on to the benefits in a moment because there are a lot of benefits. But first of all, the problems. Well, AI systems are built on algorithms 
that use data from humans. Data is not perfect. Humans are not perfect. And there's a lot of bias in the data that already exists, and that will be replicated. So some of the more immediate issues that exist are for safety and responsibility with that data and making sure that the biases that exist in the real world aren't replicated. And of course, there's a lot of question over that because you want something to seem human. Well, do you want it to be human warts and all? Probably not. This is an opportunity to actually perfect things. There have been a lot of issues over AI being used for job interviews, where it's used for the first stage of the process. And who it puts through to the next stage, well, it replicates the biases that exist in real life. So there are a lot of issues there and people understanding what data they're giving over, especially with healthcare data, which offers some of the greatest value of things that could be changed by AI, is something people are particularly sensitive about. So in a way, they're the issues, well, some of the issues that are more meaningful to most of us right now. But of course, they don't make such exciting headlines. So we do hear a lot about what could potentially happen in the future But there are experts that want to actually distract from that as well. And you would hope that regulation and sensible use of things would actually avert any of that happening. I mean, obviously, it's not going to avert it entirely. In a way, are those doomers or those people who are trying to point out the potential pitfalls and problems doing us a favour in terms of pushing that to the front of the agenda in terms of governments? Because... You know, we saw with the, with the World Wide Web, you know, it's a wild west and, and there's still a lot of the web, which is unlegislated. People can say what they want without repercussion, apparently. You know, you see it every day on Twitter, don't you? People saying things and pointing out fake accounts and things like that that are still in existence. So, you know, we haven't got that right. So No, absolutely. And I think that's something that's been learnt is that we need to regulate and fix things early so we don't reach that state. But I would also hope that AI could play a beneficial role in maybe policing social media. It's something that we haven't really seen emerge in any huge move forward in the last few months. But ChatGPT can read really well. And even though it doesn't have any knowledge of its own, it's literally just putting one word in front of another when it writes to create something that is statistically likely to make sense. Well, if it can read and it can make sense of things and ChatGPT4, which is a stage ahead from the one that we've all had access to, that was the the last generation, is meant to be much, much better as well. So if that could read social media, then maybe we could find a way of being able to make social media safer. So I think there are pros and cons. It's just going to turn out to be a bit of a, an arms race between what AI can do, for example, help someone write an essay and then plagiarism bots that are looking out for work that's being created by ChatGPT. And so there's going to be a constant battle between the two things. And the biggest problem will end up being that we're not going to really know what's real or not. Now, plagiarising somebody's essay is one thing. Causing you know World War Four, Five, wherever we're up to, is a complete other. So you know chemical warfare, the the idea that it can you know cause mass devastation and harm AI in some in some regard, that's also quite scaremongering for people, isn't it? So well, of course, and. And it's been likened to, well, nuclear weapons exist, but we've reached an agreement we don't use them. And so AI could do dangerous things, but hopefully we will reach an agreement that no one will use it for that. Right. So so that that's a matter of 
governments agreeing on a on a huge level isn't it you know that they are going to use it sensibly and but of course you you can't account for despots and dictators and you know people that don't come into the political mainstream you know countries no that of course and there's been a lot of research of into this and you could create an ai dictator who would live on forever and there's there's potential risk out there which just seems like such weird stuff to think up but there is so much that is actually possible but at the same time there's huge benefit. Right. You look at what's happening within healthcare or within cities. I mean, the AI that's used within smart cities to keep cities moving, make them more productive. And actually, productivity is something huge that can come out of the benefits of AI. At the expense city- of humans doing jobs? This is always the big question. And... The conclusion that a lot of people are reaching now, and I did a a show called a documentary by ChatGPT for Radio 4 a little while ago. And with that, we looked into all different areas of where AI could be used in terms of jobs. And the conclusion that we came up with was that it can do tasks well, but it didn't seem able to do jobs. There were elements of things that it could do, but once you actually start to really need it to do the job fully, well, it's not actually quite good enough. So I think if I asked it to create something that I didn't know anything about, then I'd probably be quite impressed by what it did. But as soon as I asked it to write a script for a documentary, it seemed absurd what Mm. it came up with. Mm. So I think it can do a lot of the process. And look, there are a lot of repetitive jobs that will be done by an AI. The The work landscape will change. But I think it's easy to jump to some idea of there not being any need for humans. But most of the places where we see AI making enormous progress and having huge benefits, it's actually just augmenting humans. Uh, radiologists, for example, being able to, to look at scans with AI as well as a person. Well, the AI can narrow things down to a certain point. It can recognise tumours very well if it's trained for that specific type of tumour. So an algorithm can be trained to do something very, very narrow. But then at the same time, you may have, say it's looking for, for a lung tumour. Well, it may not see emphysema that a specialist may see straight away. I mean, I'm, I'm no medic. I, I don't know about the exact details of, uh, of looking at lungs. But the general idea is an algorithm mm. does a specific thing, mm-hmm. where as a human who's familiar with something would see lots of other signs as well. So there's still a long way to go. But it can at that starting point, make a huge difference and the amount of data that can be collected. So when it comes to drug discovery, drug repurposing... There was one recently, wasn't there? A big breakthrough of drug discovery, which would have taken years and years to, to collect that information and it did it Yeah, and that's within a matter it. And of days. If it was even possible without AI anyway. And so there, there is huge benefit there. And as time goes on, we'll be handing over more and more data. And that's something that people are going to feel sensitive about, of course. So we need transparency over what we're handing over and what's going to be done with it. But in terms of healthcare, there's definitely going to be huge benefit. Okay. And who are they? Who Who is doing this? You know, because it's, you know, are they sitting in ivory towers with, you know, kind of with very pale skin on computers all day long, inputting, you know, where are they? Are they underground? Are they at MI5? Where are well, they? Well, I think most uh, most of the people creating these systems are probably sitting in pretty normal offices, uh, building their algorithms and creating a way of scraping data from the web and obtaining lots of data from people. What are they called? What's what? 
you know, what's the job title for somebody who is building um, AI um, systems? Data analysts. I don't. I don't right. really know what their what their official but job they, title they would be. For... Do you think this is the job of the future? Yeah. Well, what, <laughs> Maybe just the job they, everyone wants. Do they work? Do they work for private um, entities? Do, are they working for governments? Are they working? You know, on their own in silence? Well, I, I imagine most of them be working for tech companies. But it's definitely a job of the future. I think there's plenty of work for people who are, who are helping build the algorithms to scrape this data. And I'd imagine the data that they actually get on us is not what we would expect. I did an experience years ago, which was an immersive theatre experience, where it takes you through the process of believing your data is being taken from you and it's you're running around this building and it all becomes quite frantic and then they create this dossier on you and what that dossier actually represents is the information that advertisers have on us and when you look through it it's not what you'd expect we'd all think it would either be our facebook profiles or for you or i maybe if somebody googled us and it's just so different the information that's collected so it's interesting to see what is considered of use to advertisers And sometimes things are advertised to us. You buy something like a washing line that's a one-off thing and then it will suggest you may be interested in this because you bought that. And so there's still a lot of perfecting that's needed in this. But I, I think it is surprising maybe some of the data that's collected in the bigger picture. But obviously location data is particularly valuable and that's something most of us are leaving on in the background of our phones all the time, even for various different apps, unless you actively have turned it off. And then there's the data which you more consciously maybe hand over, like healthcare data. Mm-hmm. But what can be done with all of that data is huge if people can be comfortable with that happening. Most people aren't, are they? They have a natural inclination to fear handing over more data. Should Definitely. they be fearful? I mean, how, how cautious are you and your family about handing over data? Well, it's an interesting question because I think that in most cases, we make a social contract with whatever it is that we're using that we accept we are getting a service back for handing over our data. And if you actually were to consciously think about it, which I'm sure lots of people don't even think about it for the social media platform they're using, say, that they think about what they are are putting up there. They like to be able to have the platform to put it there for their friends, their family to see. And in return for that, they're giving that information to the platform. They're letting the platform learn from it. And in the way that these AI services like that using ChatGPT now, well, it's learning from the way that we behave because the most important thing for them is to learn how humans behave and will interact with them because they need to tweak their platforms accordingly to make them as beneficial mm-hmm. for them and the user as possible. So I think that it depends what the data is. And I do think that people's health data is probably one of the things that they're most sensitive about. Most data is anonymized anyway, and the value comes in the quantity of data that companies have, not any particular individual's data. And I think greater transparency is probably needed on it so that people do feel more comfortable. And then you hear of huge data breaches or people's credit card details get found. And of course, that's going to stir up more concern. So I guess we need to be sensible. We need to think about what we're doing. And I guess we're moving more into an age where our location data and our interests are understood by our devices. And we'll start to get more and more pop-up localized advertising as time goes on, because that in, in the way that television adverts are being watched less the adverts that actually pop up amidst your day and what you're doing are the ones that people are really seeing it's either something on instagram where somebody is subtly looking amazing and uh, then it gives you the details below or otherwise localized and very very specific to you personalized information and actually as well as advertising in terms of predictive healthcare, 
mm-hmm. the fact that we are handing actually, over. That's interesting. So predictive healthcare, there's there's many layers to that. I mean, you know, whether it's individual kind of, you know, hacking into your own DNA and that kind of thing, or on a wider global level, would we get to a situation where AI was so advanced that we wouldn't have another global pandemic because somehow we would not get beyond the, you know, the walls or the the area of a, you know, a community where something started. Can you foresee AI being able to kind of intercept something like COVID? I don't know. I, I don't know if it can stop another pandemic. Certainly a lot of data is useful. There's a lot to be learned from huge amounts of data. And the speed at which vaccines can be developed, the speed at which we can understand the different factors, the locations and put together all the information. Obviously, AI can play a huge role in that. And in terms of our healthcare, well, there's a lot that we can do. Um, in There's the various websites that do gene testing to understand more about our genetics. But even in terms of the trackers that we wear and the data that we collect on ourselves constantly, we can actually start to to preempt some issues that may emerge. I've recently been filming with a professor at Stanford who wears at least seven trackers all the time. So this includes four wrist-worn devices, uh, hearing aids that have sensors in them to track his social interactions, meant to be very good for your longevity, your long-term health, really does important. Does he not know apparently. his own social interactions? Why does he, is that? Well, because he wants it all to be quantified right, in a way okay. that he can have graphs to look at it all. So he's using his own data for wider he's purposes, not just for his data. own personal use. No, he's he's doing some small studies, and in his small studies, I mean, I think we were talking about around eighty people here. He had, in 80 to 90% of those cases, been able to predict COVID a couple of days before people had it. It couldn't specify it was COVID rather than any respiratory disease, but because of the time period of the studies, it seemed to be COVID. And it would be by fluctuations in the reading. So some of those people were even asymptomatic. But he was using the data. And whilst this is a very small and niche study... He is a super qualified professor and he does actually think that we're learning a lot more from our our trackers than we are giving them credit for. So if we moved into a future where we could understand a lot more about predictive health and risk factor, well, there are also biotech companies. I've been filming with some of them over in the US where they are working on drugs that work at a cellular level to treat the cellular damage that happens as we age. So it's called cellular senescence. And as you get older, you get more senescent cells and they give off a chemical which produces inflammation. So that inflammation increases the risk factor for disease. That's why age is the biggest risk factor for most diseases like heart disease, cancer, kidney disease. And so if we reached a point where you are tracking people enough and aware of their health well enough, that you see they are at high risk, then that is the point at which if these drugs actually came to market, a bit like people are given statins preventatively now, they'd be able to be given a drug to delay disease. So hopefully prevent, but possibly delay. So there's a lot of companies working in that space. The idea of being able to understand our health better and instead of just looking at at survival rates and not actually considering how bad people feel when they go through treatment and these experiences... It's actually a way of hopefully being able to prevent that illness. And it's AI's ability to collect the data, crunch all those numbers that can make things like that possible.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Those kinds of stories and that, you know, very brilliant description there of what those companies are doing, because I think people get quite, you know, kind of confused about the big picture. That's the PR that AI needs, isn't it? And uh, and when you, you know, have professors coming out telling you they've stepped away from it because it's so potentially harmful for mankind and, and it all does sound a bit dystopian, a bit Mad Max, a little bit kind of, you know, out there and people can't get their heads around it if they haven't done science since GCSE, then it's scary. And, and also you're thinking about your kids and the future and jobs and what what are they going to do um from what you say it's not perfect because humans aren't perfect therefore we need humans still to kind of be we had a conversation with rob rinder on this podcast about the future of ai in the law for example you know and he was kind of really bulking at the idea that one day there would no be no jury and judge needed because he said that you know you have to have those moments where you consider the human that's in front of you and ai can't do that can it And, and it can't do that in lots of other industries No, it can't do that. And when you come to law, well, is it going to be more or less biased than a human? Humans have bad days. Well, AI could be trained on bad data or elements of bad data. But the other thing in in terms of law is if somebody has been sentenced for a crime they've committed by an AI, well, how do they feel about receiving that sentence? Do they have the same feelings of remorse that they would Mm -hmm. if a human had effectively Mm -hmm. told them off and punished them? It's the philosophy of AI. (laughs) Yes, there's also how we feel about it in the same way a self-driving vehicle kills somebody. Well, there could be far fewer accidents with the self-driving vehicles. But how accepting are people going to be of a machine when they don't have the, well, somebody has to live with what they've done for the rest of their life factor? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's so true. Yeah, the um, taking the consequences with there's no emotion in the AI. They're never going to feel any remorse, are they? (laughs) With the, um, except the person that maybe loaded the data. Look, I, I have respect for the fear that people have of AI because things are changing, things are going to change and not everything is going to be ideal. And of course, there is some basis to a lot of this stuff that's being talked about. But there is also a lot of benefit out there. And we're not at the point of general artificial intelligence. And that is the description of the point at which a machine can do any cognitive task that a human can. It doesn't have the experiences of a human. It doesn't have the emotions or consciousness of a human. There's a lot of debate over this stuff, but we're not at that sort of sci-fi point. And also what we see in movies, the kind of AI and robots killing off the world, that's not actually even what is being described in these sensationalist headlines. That is still the stuff of movies. Um, on Click, you get to go to technology fairs and you you visit scientists around the world. You see, you know, what's what's coming in the future in all kinds of areas, um, a little bit off piste and not specifically to AI. What's the most interesting thing that, you know, that you see coming down the track that's going to change people's lives in terms of technology? Well, actually, just before uh, just before ChatGPT emerged, 
I thought augmented reality was about to really kick off. And I think we've moved so much into the conversation over AI at the moment that the other stuff has gone a little bit quiet. Um, I'm doing some stuff on longevity, increasing our health spans, which we just talked about a little bit. But I think augmented reality holds a lot of the promise that virtual reality never quite managed to do. So with virtual reality, you're wearing a big headset, disappearing into your virtual world, Great for gaming. Um, I believe it's very popular in porn. Don't know if I'm allowed to mention that here. But I think in the general mainstream for people to have the devices, well, I just don't think it's reached the levels that it was originally thought it might. There's a lot of great purposes, actually, for, for treating phobias, for learning languages, or there's, there's places that you can visit where it's just an experience that you book your session and use the VR. But augmented reality, which is where you have something overlaid on the real world. And we've seen it with the Apple launch recently as as well, where, for example, if you could have some glasses or I once saw some contact lenses where it had um, some data. I wasn't allowed to put it in my eye because it was very new, but it had it had some data on it. And the idea was that long term, you'd be able to wear this in your eye, in your eye and it would kind of give you your directions. And uh, how fast you're walking and all of the data in a contact lens. And whilst the contact lens, well, battery life problems, so many problems with, with that not being here immediately. Um, but the idea of glasses that can give you a lot of that that might take us away from our smartphones and be looking through glasses is something that I think may not be that far away. It's just a matter at the moment of the trade-off between battery life and how good the display is. So I think we're a few years from something that's really plausible for everybody to wear. And of course, the cost of it needs to come down. But that's something that I've been quite interested in for the past few years because I have tested some attempts at where that's going. I see it just sounds hideous having to wear tech like that. Just to, to me sounds like awful. You know, it's bad enough people being on their phones all the time without having this thing almost covering them from the rest of the world. Yeah, look, I totally understand. And of course, the dream is it becomes like a normal pair of glasses. So you don't actually notice you're wearing anything different to your glasses. How but we are a long way off that. your glasses, though? How can you take in what's going on around you? Well, I know, and it's all a bit weird, but then so is walking around staring at your smartphone. Which is horrible. And if, <laughs> yeah, and if you look around in the street, I mean, that's what everybody's doing, isn't it? Everyone's looking at their smartphone, trying to walk, not bumping into everybody. And uh, the way that we stare at our smartphones these days, you know, who knows what will Do you limit yourself, Lara, norm? as somebody who is immersed in this area? Do you have, do you have kind of mm, limits? Not on really. Your... No. No. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm terrible with my smartphone. My daughter's always telling me off. Is she? <laughs> put your phone down mum put it down um and what's your favorite app laura oh my favorite app um i'll tell you what not an app but tracking tracking is what i love oh, got so i always wear two yeah. trackers i wear a smart ring which tracks my sleep heart rate temperature activity and it only needs charging once a week and I don't really notice I'm wearing it at night time. So that's great for lots of, of background tracking. I also wear a smart watch because I use that to pay. I like to pay. Getting on the tube or the bus, it's great just moving your wrist towards it instead of having to uh, actually... And do you input card, this data you know, into graphs of... and charts like your friend at Stanford? Have you got Have you got kind of uh, a little... It's all hub? done for me. The, <laughs> the apps that they connect to do it for me. She I don't even need totally my friend at Stanford. I'd love his graphs. <laughs> I know <laughs> His graphs got... sound great. They're <laughs> yeah, all they up do. a level. Thank you so much for Thank answering the much. questions from our listeners and from me. I hope they weren't too stupid, but I think on these things... Not at of, all. When you don't know about something, you have, you have to ask, don't you? Um, thank you <laughs> no, so much, No, absolutely Lara. not. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you for coming. Take care. Bye. 
Do remember to share your thoughts on what topics you'd like to see our experts tackle next on our Facebook group, The Midpointers, or by dropping me a message on Instagram at Gabby Logan. And hit follow wherever you're listening to this so you never miss any of our episodes. A huge thanks to Lara Lewington for her expertise, to Spiritland Productions, and to you for listening. I'll catch you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 